Hey, good morning, everybody. Good to see all of you. Those who are here live in the studio audience and those who are online, if this is your first time here or even if you've been here before, welcome to Thrive Church. I am so glad that we are together today um, and that you chose to spend your time inside with Jesus rather than outside with Jesus. Because outside is great right now. It's just fabulous kind of weather. If, if winter were like this, I'll take it. How about you, right? It'd be good. It'd be really good. Okay. Time to go to work here. Two weeks ago... Here. And what's so fascinating, I think, is that not only does he recognize his own unworthiness his own unclean lips, but he also recognized that everybody else around him is the same way. They're, they're all impure in this case. That's how holy God is in this set of circumstances. That's what he's, what's he's seeing. And here you thought it was just about cussing. It's not. It's not just about that. And Isaiah declares what he sees. He sees the king. Now remember, Isaiah was probably a part of the, um, the royal household because we, we know from Second Chronicles that he was a scribe to the royal family. So he has seen royalty before. He has seen King Uzziah. In fact, there's evidence to suggest that he might be a cousin of King Uzziah, the guy who just died. And here he's saying, oh my goodness, no, I have seen the king, the Lord Almighty. Not Uzziah, I've seen the other one. I've seen the one who is above the king of Israel, the true king in some sense. And we clearly get the picture that this vision is completely and utterly overwhelming to his human mind. So the next time you want a vision from God, just be careful what you ask for, right? Because something like that is, is amazing. <clears throat> then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. Now, this is odd. I want you to think about this for a minute. So, the seraph, this, this, um, this angelic being, ca uh, carries a live coal in his hand, which he had taken from the altar with tongs. Why? Obviously, the heat is not going to bother his hand. So what's with the tongs? Does it make sense? It's a little, it's a little strange. Taking it with, with the tongs. Now, I would have loved to have had a chance to read some of the ancient rabbis on this, but I've not been able to track down a whole lot about this passage yet. So, first and foremost, I reserve my right to learn something new and to share it with you again later. But there are some possibilities here. What could it mean that an angelic being who is not affected by the heat of the coal would still take it from the altar with tongs. I mean, because, I mean, really, when you think about that, that tool, that instrument, it, it's got some length to it to protect somebody from the heat or to extend their reach. Well, if you've got a being that flies, reach isn't the issue here. And if they're carrying the coal in their hands, like they take it and they put it in their hand, and they're walking it over, obviously heat's not the issue. So what could this possibly mean? Well, um, I think that there's a, some, some, some possibilities here. First of all, I wonder if it's symbolic. 
because that one coal is plucked out of many coals that would have been on that altar. Just like Isaiah is being picked, in the sense, to be the messenger for God, to be his prophet. Do you see that? Do you see that correlation? So that's one possibility. Um, Maybe it's also to understand that the atonement that he receives in the very next uh, verse comes out of something related to worship because that altar would have been used for worship. Or maybe it's just for a little bit of drama. Who knows? It's all speculation at this point, but I think that it's an interesting question to raise. Next verse, with it, with this hot coal, he touched my mouth and said, see, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Now, we, we need to talk about this one in a little more detail. So the idea is he touched it uh, uh, to my mouth. Um, to, he applied it. And the first question we all want to know is what? Did it hurt? Right? Just remember, this is a vision. <laughs> okay, this is not something... Uh, necessarily that actually happens, but this is a vision that he is experiencing. And the text doesn't tell us if it hurt or not, and so we can't decide because the text would tell us if it were important for us to know. But keep in mind, this is a vision. Um, Interestingly, it says he touched my mouth. Um, In some translations, it's lips, but the word can actually mean language as well. Not just mouth or lips, but also language. And so really, the passage is not about cussing, okay? It's not about that. Rather, um, it's more about the words, how words cannot fully express what he is seeing. And no one else has the words for it either. No one else has the words for this type of holiness, this type of king. The sight is too awesome, it's too holy for words. And yet, at the same time, he, he recognizes that there's a need for words. Otherwise, he wouldn't have said it. So he touched my mouth, the seraph touched the mouth and said, see, this has touched your lips, your language, that place that you just called impure. And your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. And the word for atonement here is covering. You're covered. Whatever inadequacies, Isaiah, that you have in your language or your religion, you're covered. That's what the seraph is saying with this act. You're covered. You're taken care of. You don't have to worry about this. It may be inadequate, but it is no longer impure because God has chosen. It's an interesting if question-raising passage, but, but I, think, I think there's one more character in this story um, that's easily overlooked. In fact, I think it's missed entirely if we're not paying attention. And I think this is one of those places in the text where we need to squeeze just a little bit more to try to understand. And I think that character ultimately is the altar. Now, this is an um, an artist's rendering of what the altar may have looked like. Um, But you can see it um, there in front of the temple. This is a cutaway of, of the temple. I suspect that the uh, temple itself was probably a little bit larger than that, but it's a pretty good representation, and you've got some little priests walking around in the picture, um, so you get an idea of what the size is. But that altar is, it's a 
pretty good-sized barbecue pit. Would you agree? Yeah, that's a big one. We first hear of the altar in Exodus chapter 27 when God um, gave Moses the design brief for the tabernacle furnishings. There's a whole series of them. So all the things that you're seeing in this picture, God actually has very um, specific um, design specifications for it. And so we see this in Exodus chapter 27. Um, in this picture, it's raised on a dais, but the actual, the actual uh, altar itself would have been roughly three to four feet tall and roughly seven to eight feet square. Seven by seven, maybe eight by eight. So think of it roughly as 50 square feet, if that helps a little bit. Um, <clears throat> you know, you, you figure a 10 by 10 bedroom is 100 square feet, it's about half of that. So it's good size, right? You, could, you, you, can, you can cook some brisket on that, easy. <laughs> it's, it's, it's pretty big. And it was made from a very common wood called acacia. But it was overlaid with bronze. And so that bronze, uh, at least the grate, that bronze grate was the heat shield. And it has a very high uh, melting point so that you could... Um, actually offer burnt sacrifices on it without it damaging the rest of the altar's, um, altar's um, structure because of heat. And there are certain commands that are related to it um, throughout the Old Testament. And the one that I'm interested in actually occurs in Leviticus chapter 6. I want to, um, you don't have to turn there, you can see it on here. It says, the fire on the altar must be kept burning, it must not go out. Every morning, the priest is to add firewood and arrange the burnt offering on the fire and burn the fat of the fellowship offerings on it. The fire must be kept burning on the altar continuously. It must not go out. So sometimes um, it's interesting for us, useful for us, insightful for us to look at other cultures within the ancient Near East. There's actually a document out there from a people group called the Hittites who would have occupied what is now Turkey. So if you're thinking, if you're thinking in terms of, of, of Israel, it would be north and west and a large group of, of uh, a people called the Hittites, very powerful at one point in the ancient Near East. But there's a document there uh, that they found um, clay tablet <clears throat> that describes kind of the, the rules for priests and temples and fires because most ancient Near Eastern cultures did some type of burnt offering. And in that document, it says that the fire must be put out at the end of the day and restarted at the beginning of the day. Why? Because you don't want the temple to burn down, right? So you have to be careful of this. But this is where truly Yahweh is different. This is where or the God of Israel is very different. That fire must not go out. It must be tended to constantly. And so you would have priests that were assigned to this particular task. Keep it going continually, day and night. In the morning, it needs to be stoked a little bit. It needs to, 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 to work it. But the idea here is the priests need to keep it going. So God can, commanded the fire to be lit but it's the priest's responsibility to keep the fire going. And I have to wonder, I have to wonder, 
if all of us are a priesthood of believers, which is what the brilliant writer of Hebrews um, essentially labels us, if we are a priesthood of all believers, then I wonder if the same can be said for us. I wonder if the same thing, the same idea applies. Don't let the fire go out. Does this make sense? So we've got this altar and we've got this, this fire, which, by the way, the seraph would not have picked if there was no fire on it. So consequently, the fire has to be kept going, and I wonder if the same is true for us. Don't let the fire go out. And I think this is what Paul had in mind at the end of his first letter to the, to the Thessalonians. He writes this right at the end. He says, rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, not just the ones that are going well for you. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not quench the spirit. Do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. Hold on to what is good. Reject every kind of evil. Do not quench the Holy Spirit. The term here is extinguish. To put out. Right? Don't let the fire go out. Don't quench the spirit. Does this make sense? I've been thinking about this lately. Because I think there are certain things that are easy for us to do. Um, that actually quenches the spirit, that it extinguishes it. And that's what God is trying to tell us not to do. We're supposed to keep that fire going. So what are the things that might actually extinguish that fire, that, that sense of God's presence? Well, the easiest one is distraction. Whether you're picking up a phone and looking at it, <laughs> or whether you're just busy. You know, it seems to me like now busyness is kind of a badge of honor of some type. Oh, I'm just busy. How are you? I'm busy. Yeah, I'm not sure that's something to be proud of. But I think that will quench that will quench the spirit that causes the fire to go out. We're just distracted doing other things. The second thing is inattention. Just no discipline to it. Meeting with God is a discipline. You know, we're talking about this idea of being people of presence. Well, if we're going to be a people of presence, you've got to actually spend time in the presence of God. Let's think about it in the most basic way that we possibly can, just in the terms of relationship. Those of you who are married, if you do not, do not spend time with your spouse, how's that relationship going to go? Right? In fact, most of you, if you've been married any length of time, you know that when you're not spending time with your spouse, um, it begins to show. Um, you, you end up <clears throat> sniping at each other a little bit. And sometimes you don't even know why. But very often it's because there's inattention there. And it's, it's usually a two-way street. It's not just one way. It's usually two ways. <clears throat> sometimes you have to have that open um, conversation saying, boy, I, I need to be, need some time spent. Same thing with your kids. Kids are a little more demanding though, have you noticed? Yeah, 
They get hungry and all of a sudden, you know. But the point is, is that inattention can also quench the spirit. It just dies out on its own. The third thing, and this is the one that we're all very familiar with, is fear. Fear will quench the spirit. It will cause the fire to go out. I heard this illustration once. Um, I've, I've not had the chance, at least intentionally, to, um, to test it. But they say that if you're, if you're driving in a race car <clears throat> and you're making a turn, you need to look where you're going, not at the obstacle you're trying to avoid. Because where you go, you, you tend to, to um, steer in that direction. And so if you're making a... a specific type of turn, you want to look where you're going, not what you're trying to avoid. And what happens with us when we're afraid of something, we tend to focus our attention on the thing that we're afraid of. Um, Without getting too detailed about it or to step on toes, I've noticed this in, in um, in the news media. And there's a certain amount of fear mongering that's going on here to try to capture our attention. And wherever you land on on medical issues is entirely up to you, but you can't ignore the fear and the ease that we have of focusing on that just because it's constantly prevalent. And that, too, will quench the spirit. You can live by faith, you know, whether you choose to be vaccinated or not. You, you can do that because just, be, just by living by faith doesn't mean you're not prudent. The point is you're not focused on the fear. That's what I'm trying to get at because that can happen. It can actually take your attention away. And it doesn't have to be that. There are other things too. Um, there are plenty of things right now <laughs> that we should be concerned about. But we don't want to live by fear. We want to live by faith. And the only way to do that is to take the responsibility, practice the presence. And here's the fourth thing, <clears throat> fourth thing that will quench the spirit. And this is the one that none of us likes to talk about, but it's probably the easiest one. It's just sin. Just plain old sin. Being involved with things that aren't good for you. Idolatry. When you put something else that's more important than God. Anything that, that you you place above that is idolatry. And that's sin. <clears throat> so sin is the, e- is the easiest one, and I think it's the one that we often overlook because, you know, I go to church, I'm not sinning. <laughs> okay, how about we check in with God on that one, right? Make sure. <clears throat> so four things, I think. There may be more, but those are the four that I, I see. Just the idea of distraction, inattention, fear, and sin. All those things will eventually quench the spirit. It might not be immediate, but it will happen over time. And what's so important here is when we talk about the altar, it's the priest's responsibility, responsibility that they have to keep that fire going. And so it is with you. It's your responsibility to keep that fire, to not quench the Holy Spirit. And... I think, just in my own mind, I was thinking about this as Dan was um, 
um, singing about fresh wind, um, Dan and Jessica were, it just kind of hit me. I'm like, I think that in a lot of cases, the fire hasn't necessarily gone out, but it's growing cold. And I don't, I don't want that for me. I don't want that for Thrive Church. I don't want that for anybody. But there is this sense that nobody else can do it for you, that it really has to be your decision, your practices, your discipline in order to continue being in the presence, pursuing that presence, and allowing God to speak into you. Does this make sense? I don't know how else to say that, but we each have a responsibility when it comes to our own spirituality, when it comes to our own fire, when it comes to our own worship. And I think that's on, I think that's on display here in this passage if we pay attention to it. Because here's the thing. I don't ever want to be in a position where I am confronted with a, a vision of a holy God and some pretty fantastic angelic creatures. And to, to be in a place where I might have that blessing, that calling in my life, only for the seraph to go to my altar and find it cold. I don't want to miss out on anything that God has for me or has for, for Thrive Church, and I don't want you to miss out either. This is where FOMO really makes a lot of sense. FOMO, fear of missing out. I don't want that for you. I don't want that for us. And so this week, my challenge for you is to just check in with God and say, Lord, how do I, how do I stoke this fire again? Where's that place inside of me that's growing a little cold? What, what is it that you want to speak to me about? See what he says. And maybe you're at one of those points where it's like, man, I don't know. I'm feeling like it's, it's so cold. I'm, I'm not sure that I can stoke it. Here's the, the best part. Is that there are people around you who are willing to share. And uh, if you're in that place where it's just feeling cold for you, guess what? You can borrow some of mine. You can borrow you know, some of the people around you. It's the beautiful thing about the presence of God is that he's really, really generous with his, with his presence. And so I just invite you to, to be honest with yourself and say, okay, maybe I'm cold or maybe I'm growing colder. And say, maybe I need a little bit of a touch of this. So um, what we'll do uh, today, Dan's going to come and we're going to lead in worship again. And I... Just say, if that, if that little part of you somewhere in there is, is feeling a little colder than you'd like it to be, um, come pray with us. Um, I'm going to be over here. Gina's going to be over here. We'd be delighted to, to pray with you about that and just ask for that fresh wind, that, that fire to be stoked in your heart. I believe it's still there. We just got to let a little little spirit get involved in there. Here's an interesting thing you might not be aware of. <clears throat> but the word in Greek and in Hebrew for spirit is breath or wind. And so sometimes um, when you're starting a fire, you've got to blow on it a little bit. Well, here's what we're going to do. We'll, we'll help blow on it for you just to try to stoke that fire a little bit, allow the Spirit to come and do His work. Let's pray. God, thanks for meeting with us today. Um.
I like having that confidence that you're here, <laughs> that you're waiting for us, and that um, you're looking for us constantly. I like that. And I know, Lord, that um, there have been a lot of things in the news and the world that could easily quench our spirit. And in a group this size, I, I know people are dealing with that at some level. And maybe they don't even recognize that it's starting to go out a little bit. And so, Lord, I would pray that just in the next few moments as we're singing and as we're thinking about this, that you would just help people be honest with themselves, not in a shameful way. Lord, I pray against shame. That has no business here. But rather that they would just simply be honest and say, man, I'm not where I want to be, and I believe that God has something so much better. And Lord, that, that they would um, begin to blow on that fire and not let it go out that they would take the responsibility for their own spiritual heart, their own spiritual heat, and that your spirit would begin to blow on them again. We do need that fresh wind. We all do, especially in this world today, because ultimately we need, to be, we need to be people of presence. And in order to do that, we need your presence inside of us. Thank you, God that this is what you want to, that we can have confidence in you. I pray this all in Jesus' name, amen.